Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well, today I'm delighted to share a conversation that I had with Mr. Joe Lieber, who is founder of JL Investment Group. Now, you might not have heard of JL Investment Group, but you know, besides Joe having a wonderful temperament and mindset, as I'm sure you're about to hear, He's also a 22-year veteran of the real estate industry based over in Cleveland, Ohio in the United States. And he has over, in fact, once had over 200 high cash flow single family homes, but he's now got over 100 high cash flow single cash, uh, sorry, single family homes that are completely debt free in what he calls lifestyle by design, not by default. And there's plenty to learn in this conversation, I'm sure. But just before we get into it, I just wanted to signpost you to an event that I'm having on the Monday, the 12th of August. It's in London, King's Cross. Uh, details are going to be in the show notes uh, for you to, to find out more about it. But just thought I'd let you know before we get into the conversation today. Um, it's, a, it's a mastermind dinner, essentially. We're going to be talking about growing and scaling your property business, which is kind of appropriate because that's exactly what Joe has done for the last 20 years. And if you want to learn how to build cash flow uh, to fund a lifestyle for 30 years or more into the future, that you're going to enjoy this particular heavyweight, I'm sure. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. Well, here we are, another episode in our property or real estate um, heavyweight series on the Property Voice podcast. And I'm delighted to uh, have joined me today, Joe Lieber, all the way. I guess you are in Cleveland, Ohio, are you today, Joe? I'm not sure. I am. Great. Great. Thanks a lot for joining me on the show today. I really appreciate that. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation with uh, great interest because we, we go back a couple of years now. So uh, I know a little bit about you already, and I'm, I'd love to share your story with our audience. Uh, so appreciate it. Appreciate you joining me today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, you're more than welcome. You're more than welcome. So um, what I normally do, just kind of set the scene a little bit so people are just tuning in. They don't know perhaps much about you, especially a large part of our audience is overseas and, and predominantly in the U.K., um, would you mind talking us, take you know, taking us through a little bit about yourself, your backstory in, in real estate, and you know, just bring us you know from zero to where you are today, if that's okay? Yeah, I'd love to. So I have nothing really scripted here, so this is just kind of going off the cuff. Uh-huh. Um, just thinking, you know. Uh, so he- here's what's going on. So I um, I'm a turnkey real estate provider from Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, I kind of fell into that a few years ago. When some people out of my market in the Phoenix, California market said to me, wow, I can't believe how awesome the Midwest is uh, to buy rental properties. And and in the 22 years I've been in business, I'd never sold property to anybody outside of Cleveland, Ohio. And then all of a sudden, uh, when these people heard about uh, the returns you can get and the, the assets that are available in this market, uh, I started selling houses, uh, turnkey. But uh, the big thing for me is a little bit of the backstory is, I, I live this lifestyle. You know, I'm a cash flow guy, 
And uh, I truly live a passive lifestyle uh, through rental properties. And uh, it allows me to live a lifestyle that I never thought imaginable. Uh, right now, I'm doing this recording from my house. Uh, I take every summer off uh, with, be with my children. I don't work from June 1 to August 23rd. The most I'll do is just uh, podcast with uh, my friends, people I know like you. Okay, thank you. Um, for, oh, we're in the middle of that window, so I really do appreciate you joining me. Yeah, we're right in the middle. I have not been to my office uh, since June 1st, the day the kids got out of school. That's just something I want to do. You know, I set this lifestyle up not by default, by design. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's the whole idea for me is uh, to truly be able to live a cash flow lifestyle. And uh, that's what I sell. And that's where I live. So I always tell people, if you're going to buy turnkey assets, buy from an operator who practices what they preach, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And uh, and they do. And uh, that's just how that's how I do it. So been in the business 22 years, been through every aspect of it. You know, as as a I'm, I'm 40 now, so I got in right out of high school. Oh yeah. And uh, you know, being a young young guy there, I have to go through all the trials and tribulations and, and learning. But uh, did that, did everything, uh, buy fixed sales, did the wholesaling. Did a, a multifamily, uh, had a run at that for a little while. Uh, just at the brokerage, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a broker to this day. I have a successful brokerage here in the Cleveland area and uh, really have got to go down every path. But the only thing that's really been a constant for me is rental property investing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's where I focus all my time these days. And I'm still acquiring and uh, still uh, having people come through my you know, that meet me and come through my network. I really don't do a whole lot of marketing or advertising, but when people hear things, they want to get involved. They usually just call me and we have conversations and it leads to, to many different things. So, you know, that's kind of the backstory and, and uh, yeah. So uh, cool. Cool. I mean, I was introduced to you for a referral actually um, a few years ago. Now uh, one of your international clients who have taken a turnkey property from you and, um, I told him what mission I was on, and he said, you need to talk to this guy, <laughs> which was you, of course. Um, uh, we'll perhaps come back right up to that because that's what kind of brings us to what you're doing today with the turnkey properties and looking after clients as well as your own portfolio. But maybe just dialing the clock back a little bit. Um, 22 years ago, you, so you said you were like basically straight out of college, right? Um, you know, I, I wasn't a college guy. I did not go right out of high school. Uh, I, I got right involved in this business, uh, which was a, a, a tough way to, to, to do that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was standing there. It was June 6, 1997. I'm standing there at graduation. I remember these things. They're, they're very uh, – these are like real things that happen. Like about like a photographic memory. I remember these things, and, and that's what it was, June 6, 97. We threw our caps up in the ground. I look over at my buddy, and uh, I say, well, dude, I don't know, man, like – <laughs> high school is like my whole life, right? You know, I was on the football team and, you know, always hanging out and having a good time. And I'm like, well, what do we do now? You know? And uh, he says to me, I got a job in construction. I start next week. And I was yeah. like, wow. And, and he said, he goes, I'm making 20 bucks an hour. I said, no way, dude. Cause <laughs> when you're 18 years old, 1997, that's all the money in the world to you. Yeah. I was like, did you really do that? I didn't believe him. I was like, please get me a job. Please get me a job doing that. <laughs> and and to the uh, he didn't whether he couldn't or just didn't want to I don't know to this day. But I did the next best thing. I said, hey, listen, you got a big pay stub. Let's go into the bank. Let's buy a house, fix it up, and flip it. Because at that time in the '90s, 
Carlton Sheets and Russ Whitney, those guys were real big on TV. And even as a 17, 18-year-old kid coming home late night, I would see these guys on TV with the palm tree swaying in the background and the boats. I said, dang, those guys are onto something. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know what that means. I never had a family in real estate or anything, but I knew they were onto something. So we did that. I bought a house with that young man at my graduation, and we fixed it up, and we flipped it. Mm-hmm. The problem was we lost money. Oh, I was going to start to ask you. <laughs> Ooh, did you at say that time? Four thousand. Yeah, four thousand each. We lost on that deal. And what's funny about that is that I was going to the local university here, trying to appease my parents. And uh, anyone who's went to university knows that they 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 hand out credit cards like they're candy. They always give these college kids credit cards. I don't know why they do that, but they did. And I used <laughs> the the credit card to pay for the material to fix that house. Mm-hmm. So now I sell a house, I lose four grand, and I'm carrying a credit card with a five, four, five thousand dollar balance. And to me, it was all the money in the world. I didn't know how I was even going to pay for it. Yeah. So here here's where here's the thing that that I want folks to understand is never give up, never ever give up. That young man, his name was Lloyd. He, I'm done. He goes, I'll never do this again. It was a bad idea. But I went out there by myself now, and I found someone that wanted to sell a distressed house at a fair price, and even better, they wanted to own or finance it. I took that house. I fixed it up myself because I had no money, mm-hmm. and I flipped it for a $35,000 profit in 1998. That was the second, what, was that the second deal you that did? That was the second deal. I did yeah. it by myself. Uh-huh. Parents didn't believe in me. said, I'm out of my mind to go back and do this again. They said I was going to lose everything, but I had nothing to lose. I didn't really understand what that meant. <laughs> and then I flipped this house and make $35,000, which is honestly more money than either my mother or father made in an entire year. I was going to say back in what, 1998, that, I'm trying to think just to put it in today's terms. It was over two decades ago. So, yeah. you know, 38, 30, what you say, $38,000. So what's that worth today? It's a lot, huh? A lot more. It was a really good flip. It was yeah. more money than they made in an entire year working their jobs 40 hours a week. Well, that puts it and, in perspective. Uh, yeah. Puts it in perspective. Yeah. They thought that I had stole from somebody. It was crazy. <laughs> but that was the catalyst right there that gave me the momentum, gave me the drive to say, I can do this. Mm-hmm. Now let's go out there and let's really make it happen. Mm. So you had you had that first experience with a, a you know a partner, essentially, right? So the, the guy from high school. Yeah. And it lost money. But like you say, you didn't quit. You went for the second project, and you made a ton of money by the sound of it, relatively speaking. Um, and you know, has it been since then? Has it been highs and lows? Has it been plain sailing? Has it has it progressed? I've always had a pretty good business, but what I quickly realized with flipping houses, it's very transactional. Mm-hmm. And if you flip a house, you have to learn how to budget your money quickly because you don't know when the next one's coming down the pipeline. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I really couldn't build a lifestyle off of a transactional business. Mm-hmm. I needed something that was reoccurring, that always paid me, whether I got up in the morning or not. I had this like vision of like I was thinking of my money in the bank, and it was like sleeping. Like think of like a bank vault, right? And this money was in there, and it was sleeping. They were smoking cigarettes and drinking <sighs> beer. And my money wasn't working for me. I'm like, wait a second. I'm going out and working, and my money's being lazy. So I knew I had to get my money off of its butt and get it to work. 
And I would think of the money just like walking out of the bank vault going to work instead of me. And I kind of, you know, I live by that stuff to this day. And I put my money to work opposed to putting myself to work. It's like it's a little bit higher level, you know. Did you really visualize it that way with, you know? I did. Yeah. It's a magician, not the mule effect. I wanted to be more like the magician and not the mule. Uh-huh. Even as a young boy in his 20s, I, I didn't know how to articulate these things, but that's what I wanted to do. I had to figure out ways to make money without me being the mule. Mm-hmm. So, so I, started, um, I started buying rental properties, Richard, right. is what I did. Right. So you started buying rental properties. You had a reasonable start with, um, you know, we're still around the 1998 sort of timeline or late 90s, early 2000s. But um, obviously, the, the thing with rental properties, as you know well, you know so well, Joe, is that you eventually run out of money, right? If you're just putting, if you're buying them cash or you're, pay, you're putting deposits in and getting them financed. So did you do it that way or did you do it a different way? So there's a couple of things. So here here in, in the U.S., the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac will only let you take 10 traditional loans. Right. So you've got to come up with a different way. And like I said, this has been a lot of trials and errors error over the years. And, you know, there was a point where I owned 80 houses. I'm about 25 years old. And I had 10 houses in each person's name. I had financed 10. I had my mom financed 10. My dad financed 10. My brother financed 10. <laughs> Then it becomes like almost like a family business. Then I would take on people that I knew that were, were making money, making, you know, moving and shaking. I said, let's go buy some rental properties together. And all these 50-50 partnerships out there, mm-hmm. I would have them put down the down payments. Or you can even raise the down payment with private money, which is a whole nother conversation. I was doing things like that. Mm-hmm. And just whatever it took to acquire these assets. Well, I guess, you know, uh, what, what comes out to me there is that you kind of you identified the problem, as it were, that your money wasn't working hard for you. That you, you identified that cash flow, a cash flow strategy through rentals was where you wanted to go. And then I guess you just figured out a solution. Right. You, um, you brought in people, you brought in the extra the partners, if you like, and raised money privately. And you just did what it took to to get your goal. Is that, is that a fair summary? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then, you know, I, I had my trials and tribulations through that. You know, I remember a time in about 2009, I'm probably sitting around 90, 90 single family homes. And uh, with the mortgages in place, I wasn't really cash flowing that much. You know, I was paying a lot of money for the houses. I wasn't really cash flowing that well. And I remember I went and sought out my first mentor. By the way, big mistake I made. Don't ever do it. Don't ever do it this way. <laughs> I didn't have a mentor until about over 10 years, 12 years it took me being in the business full-time before I got a mentor. Don't ever do that. (laughs) I literally took the stairs when I could have pushed a button to an elevator. And that's what I do now in my business. I'm in some of the top best masterminds in the entire country. And I pay big bucks for them, but you know what? I can literally push the button and go to the 60th floor opposed to trying to take the stairs. So just a little cliff note there, invest in your education. You must do that no matter what it is. Uh, podcasting, mentors, mentorships. Um, learn, 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 learn. Don't do it the way I did it. So it's 2009, and I'm not really cash flowing. I see my first mentor, and he tells me, you have to take these properties and switch them over to rent to own. You have to get your tenants vested, get them excited to own a house, and it will reduce your maintenance costs. Mm-hmm. That was a game changer for me. 
I went from breaking even on cash flow almost to collecting ten thousand dollars. It was about ten thousand dollars a month. Of course, I still had some turnover and some maintenance, but big game changer by switching everything from rent to own, from rental to rent to own for me. That was big. And that that essentially, just to translate that, that meant you um, you bought the property. You I, I don't know if you did a, a rehab on it, a refurbishment as we would call it, but um, I don't know if you did that. And then you would try try and target effectively what would become a homeowner buyer. Um, who would rent Correct. the property originally, but with the view to taking ownership in the long term, right? Exactly. And by doing that, I would say you're in home ownership training, basically. Uh-huh. So you're responsible for the repairs of the property. Uh-huh. The toilet clogs up. You need to take care of that because you're in home ownership training. Uh-huh. This model worked very, very well for me. It increased my cash flow almost overnight. And, and the main way that changed things was you transferred a lot of your costs onto them, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And there's a because I, I, I know where you're at today, and I can see now how a lot of these pieces of the puzzle are, are building to where you are today. And um, but the mentor basically advised a rent-to-own strategy. You went that that helped, enabled you to get higher cash flow, and you you got to around about 90 properties. I'm waiting for a magic number here, as you can probably guess. So, for uh, sure. How did it go? How did it unfold from there? So th- there was a switch then, right? So the we had this whole mortgage meltdown and and and. The real estate prices, you know, hit the floor here in the States, you know, to, to you could buy houses for nothing. Mm-hmm. So I started doing that, literally buying for almost nothing. Between five and twenty five thousand US dollars could buy mm-hmm. me a three one twelve hundred square foot home, right? Mm-hmm. So I started buying these and using private money to buy them. I would network myself with high net worth people, doctors, attorneys, whatever it took. To get myself in front of these folks and say, do you want to, you know, invest in real estate passively and I can pay you returns, you know, eight to 12 percent, depending on the situation, how much money you lend, things like that. So just so the folks listening know, when you treat one private money rich guy good, (laughs) the doors are wide open. You will never have a money issue again because they all have rich friends and their rich friends have rich friends. And. Oh, my goodness. Just takes one and the doors are, are wide open. So that's what I did. But I had a little secret because I was buying the houses so cheap I could buy them on a five-year amortization. So I remember I was buying between four and five houses for about $100,000. I borrow the money on a five-year amortization, let's just say 10%, and I would break even or even cash flow off of that. And in five years, the house was paid for in full. Yeah. So you you took a bit of a you know I wouldn't say it's long super long term view but you know a medium term view there five years you you were happy to at least you know cash flow neutral break even and I guess you said in some cases you actually made made cash on the on the deal as well but right what you were doing though of course was acquiring assets that you would hold for for long term exactly yeah so I did that I went crazy with it. And there was a period in there in about 2012 and 13 where I was just buying to buy. You could call me with anything. I'm like, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> it was it was that that crazy. So I got myself up to about 217 single family homes, and that was a tipping point for me. Uh-huh. It was you either better go to 300 and staff up, or you've got to sell some of these off and bring it down where it's a little bit more manageable. So you were on your own at the 217 mark, were you? Pretty much. Yes, I was on my own. Okay. No partners, no one, 
just me. Uh-huh. And um, what I decided to do was when I started really looking at some of the assets that I was buying, because I was getting so crazy, I'm like, I've got some garbage in there. I have got to get rid of some of this stuff. And I think what I was going to do, my plan was to take the, sell about 100 was my plan, and take any uh, equity and pay off the remaining 100. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. And it took a while. It wasn't <laughs> until January of 17 is when my entire portfolio was paid for. Wow. Here we are, you know, this uh, the summer of 2019. And for about two and a half years now, I've had an entire portfolio of over 100 single family assets paid for. And that's it. And so, um, it. again, reading between the lines, um, the result of that being that they're, you know, free and clear of any debt. And presumably you just cash flow them, right? I cash flow. Yeah. Now, I want to say, though, not everybody invests for cash flow. Mm-hmm. There's actually five, I have felt, I feel there are five components of why people invest in real estate. One is cash flow, of course. So you can, you know, quit your day job, so to speak, have enough cash flow to pay for your lifestyle, and that's it. But there's also appreciation. Mm -hmm. Some people invest for appreciation. How about this? Some people invest for depreciation, which is a great tool. Uh, I, I, I have my own things I have to deal with because now I pay heavy taxes, ah, right? right? So yeah, in the US you get you can actually offset depreciation against your uh, your income tax, right? Correct. Yeah. I mean I was right when I had mortgages, I could write off all that interest. You write off, you know, material, you write off labors. I mean, there there's so many things that you can do. You can write off the house. You know, here in the US they let you depreciate the home over twenty seven and a half years. So mm-hmm. there's ways you can avoid paying income tax by using your real estate to do that. But people invest for amortization. I mean, think about the basic concept. You buy a house, put down a small down payment, and the tenant pays it off for you over a course of period of time, right? That's really what happens. It's almost like I call it a free house. So some people just invest for that. They might buy a really nice home in a class A or class B asset class and let someone pay it off for them. We've seen a lot of that. I'm a northern, I'm a guy up north here in Cleveland, but like we have our vacation spots or anywhere along the southern uh seaboard right anything from thing from california to miami florida we see people up here who will buy their dream homes in florida now in their 30s and 40s make them rental properties and by the time they head to retirement they're paid for i like and that they get to en- yeah it's a great idea we yeah. see it all the time and yeah. you get to enjoy possible appreciation depreciation amortization you know there's many many things the fifth one i want to touch on is 1031 tax exchange So for us guys who might sit there and enjoy depreciation all these years, instead of when we go to sell, instead of saying, oh, we're going to sell and pay the taxes, we can do a 1031 tax exchange where we're basically deferring the the profit into another asset. And there's a whole thing for that. But my my point is, is there's other reasons why people invest in real estate than just cash flow. I just Mm -hmm. want to make that known. There's many different things. So. I guess are you are you moving through some of all five of those, or are you predominantly cash flow? I'm predominantly cash flow. Uh-huh. Uh, I do see a lot of depreciation because I still, although I don't have any mortgages, I still depreciate my houses over 27 and a half years. That's what the IRS allows me to do. And believe it or not, we are not. Ohio is not known as an appreciation state, 
But we are seeing appreciation right now. Mm-hmm. So that's like an added bonus for me. It's like, whoa, wait a second. These houses are worth a lot more than I paid for them. This is really cool. Yeah. And I mean, uh, a lot of things are happening here right now to see appreciation, which we don't typically see in this state. Yeah, well, I, was, I remember I drove around with you. You were kind enough to share your time and, and took me around uh, the neighborhoods that you invest in. And you, you were telling me about what you'd seen about prices. Um, of course, there were highs and lows because of the market you know, cycles. Um, but, you know, I'm a bit like you. I, I, I look for the income, as we call it, or the cash flow. And then I take appreciation as a bonus. Um, pretty much. So um, that's that's what I try and do. I, also, I don't know about you, but well, in fact, I'll, I'll, I'll prompt you because I'm pretty sure you do. We're, we we use or I like to use the term forcing the appreciation. So yeah. adding the value to the property. I mean, isn't that what turnkey is sort of about? Um, Can I tell you a great value add story? Sure. Yeah, please. So I do this a lot here in Cleveland, right? I'll buy let me tell you what a typical home looks like. A 1925 built colonial, which means the first floor has a kitchen, a living room, a dining room. The second floor has three bedrooms and a bathroom, mm-hmm. along with a full basement under, underneath. But then it has an attic. And these attics are unfinished. They're usually used for storage, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what I do is I take the attics and I finish them. I'll put a center cut hallway in. A bedroom in the front, a bedroom in the back, and now I have a five-bedroom home. Mm-hmm. The value add, right? Yep. But this is the beauty of it. I, I will typically sometimes rent to Section 8. I love Section 8, by the way. There's a so lot of pros we, and cons, something we can get into later. but We would call that benefit, benefits tenants, tenants who are receiving some sort of um, state or local government um, support. I love that stuff. The, the, the people typically are so grateful for the homes mm-hmm. that uh, it's really just a game changer. And I just want to throw this out there. My average tenant that is a benefit, what do you say, benefit provider or whatever, yeah. they stay over five years in my homes. Uh-huh. And those turn times are just amazing. But what I'll do is I'll take that house that was a three-bedroom that I might be getting you know, $800 a month in rent. And now that it's a five-bedroom, I can get $1,100 a month in rent. So I'm adding value, and yet I'm forcing appreciation. If that asset's worth $70,000, and it would be a three-bedroom here in Cleveland, but if it's now a five, now it's worth ninety dollars or $95,000. Now the cash flow is $1,100 a month. So you're adding value. It's a great idea, a great way. Always add value. A friend told me that years ago. And, uh, yeah, just want to you know explain a little more detail. No, I'm glad you did. I, I, you know, I think you know, I'm a great believer myself in that. And just to put that in some sort of perspective, in the U.K. market, that's, I mean, it's, it's not impossible to do that by any means, but I think what's um, more advantageous in your market perhaps than the UK market is that you can genuinely add value on, especially on the cash flow side of things, um, through, through that type of operation. And um, am I right in thinking that in the state of Ohio and Cleveland in particular, that there's a, a premium for Section 8 or benefit types of tenant? Is that right? Oh, my goodness, yes. I mean, there are so many people that need that program here. If I list the house right now up on uh, – I put them on Zillow usually, Zillow Rentals, and I say Section 8 okay. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I'm talking 30 phone calls a day.
wow. it's that crazy. Yeah. And you mentioned you you got round, well you had I don't know if this is the right figures now. So you had a, a hundred properties free and clear. Um, has it grown since then? Have you added to the portfolio? Have you kind of stuck around that sort of level and added uh, different income streams to your your model? So what I've done now is I still have I have about one fifteen, and then I I buy now assets just for the primary reason of selling them. But when I sell these assets now, you know, you grow, you evolve, things change. I'm more interested in the note side of the business. So I'll see international investors come over to the Cleveland market and say, I want to get in, but I can't obtain financing because they're, they don't have a social security number. They're not American, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll finance these folks. Mm -hmm. Say, listen, you want to put some money down, I'll be the bank. Don't worry about it. So I've done a lot of that for folks to help them, you know, finance these homes and 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 just realize the opportunity. And I kind of want to be on the note side of the business. You know, it's it's an evolution process. You know, you got to start somewhere, and to to have the money to be able to invest in notes takes a lot of cash. But it's something I started to do now. It removes me from operations of having a rental property and puts me more on the passive side of the business. But uh, this is something I, I, that I'm doing now, and you know, just uh, it's a it's a yeah. growing process. And, and, and just to doing a lot to, to explain that was part of my quest of coming over to the states myself uh, a few years ago, and obviously we met in that context. Um, but the the loan notes, as you call them, they're essentially just for people who are not so familiar outside of the states. They're they're like private loans, right? So you're offering financing on the property to to those people, and. You know, it's not through a bank. It's for you or you may be able to there may be another provider, but it's not usually sort of a main, you know, what we call a high street bank or main institutional bank. What's that? No, it's, it's the loan of Uncle Joe, <laughs> I like to say. Yeah, it's really me lending the money. So usually I hop on the phone with these folks, just have a conversation, you know, like, you know, who are you? What do you do? Are you a cool person? <laughs> you know, uh you know, I just want to make sure we get along because if it's, I, I'm actually lending the money, you know, like I said, I'm not a bank. I don't have billions of dollars to lend. It's, you know, millions at best, right? <laughs> I mean, <you> know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We all, we all run out of money at some point anyway. But um, Exactly. But you've kind of just flipped that around a bit. If you, you said earlier in the conversation, one of the game changers earlier on when you spoke to your mentor was to do the whole rent to own thing. But now you're providing the rent to own, essentially, to um, to investors. That's the way I'm seeing it. Yeah, yeah, I am. Um, you know, you got to figure a way to get your foot in the door somehow. Mm-hmm. You've got to get in, in the business, and especially when you talk. You know, I know you're uh, an out of state. Uh, you're an international guy, so mm-hmm. if when I see us from international investors, if they want to get you know involved, you know, they have to finance uh, usually somehow, unless you're unless you can pay cash. If you can, awesome. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, you know, how are you going to acquire American real estate? So it's an expensive business, real estate. So, you know, financing is uh, gives you that good old leverage and the opportunity to get into something more affordably or to scale your, your business. So we all look for that. Um, well, then you get to enjoy depreciation and you get to enjoy the, the write-offs that come with that. And really, you can just bring down your taxable income and with interest and, and repairs and stuff you, you, and depreciation, you can almost write these houses off to the point where you, you don't even really pay income tax on. I shouldn't say it like that, but yeah. it, you can really – there's a lot of benefits to owning real estate. Yeah. Yeah. And then just talk about the turnkey thing just so we our listeners understand what that means, what it involves, what you do essentially. Right. So I buy distressed assets. 
I'll mm-hmm. buy them out of foreclosure. I'll buy them from estate sales. I'll buy them from you know, people who have code violations on their home, people going through a divorce and, and need to sell these houses quickly for uh, usually cash. I'll just go in and buy cash hey, and give you, deliver this money to you in seven days. Like, oh, wow, this is great. Then what I do is I go and I rehabilitate them. If they need new roofs. I put new roofs on. If they need windows, I put windows in. Whatever they need, I'll you know get these houses looking sharp, right? Mm-hmm. Make sure they're up to code, up to date. And then I tenant them with high quality tenants. My team tenants them just like they're my own because they are my own. I own the houses. Mm-hmm. And then what happens? I enjoy the cash flow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I do. And I really wish a lot of times it would just end right there. <laughs> but no, I'll get a phone call from Richard Brown. I'll say, hey, bud. Do you have any beautiful turnkey houses that are cash flowing? And next thing I know, we're doing business together. And it's better that way because I like to keep the houses in my portfolio for a little while because I like to get the bugs out, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, when you acquire a new asset, you don't know what's wrong with that house. There there could be things you you just don't see, you know, defects you don't see, maybe a backed up sewer line or maybe the furnace looks like it works, but it doesn't really work, you know, and Mm -hmm. I prefer to own them for, you know, anywhere from three to six, 12 months, as long as I can really, mm-hmm. and get the bugs out. So if when, when, when Richard sends someone over or someone calls me and says, Hey, I want to buy this stuff, you know, it's good. I've owned it for a while. The bugs are out. The tenant's good. Or if I got a bad tenant, I don't want to sell that asset to someone that, that Richard knows that Richard's friends. Right. So I'll get the person out of there and say, Hey, get the hell out of here. Let's put somebody new in there. Make sure they have a good quality running asset. Sounds good. And we've definitely done that. <laughs> so we have we have a good yep. track record. Yeah, we do. Um, and by the way, someone that we both know may be coming back to you shortly, but uh, we'll talk we'll talk about that separately. Um, Great. What um what's what was curious to me is a couple of times now you've talked about having access to people with funds. Right. So you talked about the high net worths in the early stages. Um I just, you know, you, you've, you yourself have got funds now, right? You've got the cash flow, et cetera. You can fund some of these assets. And, but do you yeah. also have other ways of financing for your operation now, particularly the notes, for example? So, like, what, what do you mean? I'm not sure if I follow, like, how I finance homes for other people or how I raise private money or? Well, yeah, so, it's pro- so I'm seeing different things about the private money. So um, maybe I'm, I'm second guessing you a little bit with what you do with your notes. Do you hold them yourself or do you do sell them on? I was probably getting to that angle towards the end. But I think I was just wanting to get over the idea of um, having access to alternative, you know, alternative sources of money, which enables you to grow your real estate business, I think. Uh, and, and has that been a consistent theme of yours throughout the years or, or has it changed? Is it all now there's just cu- yours? There's a couple different parts to this. So like on the front end, like when I acquire assets, yeah, I'll, I'll use my own cash as much as I can. But if I run out of money or I want to de-risk, as I like to say, mm-hmm. everybody will lend money. If they have money, who wouldn't want to lend money on a half price asset? Mm-hmm. If it's a great deal, it's not a problem finding private money. And then when I go to sell these assets now, the only reason why I want to hold the paper is because that piece of paper, or if it's a 30-year mortgage, let's pretend, let's let's do a real case example, right? You sell a house for $80,000, you get 20% down, you got, I don't know, a $65,000 mortgage. You know what that piece of paper is worth over 30 years, assuming the asset, you know, assuming someone keeps a note out 30 years, mm-hmm. that $60,000 paper is worth triple that. It's worth 180000 
I'm in it for that. Right. That's what I want. I want no operations mm-hmm. and keep me on that piece of paper for as long as that person wants to pay or can pay or doesn't want to refinance me out. Mm-hmm. So, and then you can get fancy. So like, I'll just add this and there's a little bit high level. Now we're going to go super high level on this, but I'm with you. if my cost basis on that asset is $40,000 and I have a piece of paper for $60,000, mm-hmm. I can do an assignment of collateral and have someone lend me $40,000 to get my capital back, but still have a piece of paper with 65 that they actually own. So if I default, they can have that. I know we're going super high level here, but <laughs> it's, it's a really good idea. And sometimes I have lenders that come to me and say, hey, can I give you a loan on that piece of paper you have worth 65 grand? Can I lend you 30000 on that? Yeah. Well, who wouldn't want to do that? They have the collateral. They get the notes. Well, that's what banks do. <laughs> That's what banks do, right? It's such a great investment. It's just so many ways to skin this cat in this game. Um, But it takes a while to get there. You have to evolve. Yeah, I think one of the things, one of the reasons I was particularly interested to have you join me on the podcast, Joe, is that um, some of what you're talking about is not really open to people in the UK market, for example. So we don't have this sort of loan note type of um, culture uh, or even method. You, You can't do it. You know, not no well. You you sort of can, but it's it's a more established, you know, mature operation in the states, that's for sure. So I think wow. you know perhaps you, know, you can go and find people who will back you. Let's say that, and you have money coming in versus money going out. But you know, and you put a charge on the property, for example, to give them the security that they need. But the, I think the whole loan note thing is, um, you know, it's very is more mature in in the states. So. Again, it's one of the reasons why I was looking to come over to the States because, you know, things – what we, we tend to say over, over in the UK is that we tend to get what the you guys get in the States five to ten years later. That, that seems – that's my view anyway. It's my personal view. No, it's funny. We always say here in Ohio, we always say whatever happens in California about two years later happens in Ohio. <laughs> So it's rippling out. It's rippling out east. You know? <laughs> it's rippling east. So that yeah. if it happens here, a few years later, it happens over, over in the UK. That's yeah. so funny. Yeah. So, yeah, there's obviously someone who starts this uh, particular wave, and uh, we catch it, right, at some uh, some point. So, um, But I thought that was curious. But you did kind of um, – when you just go back to the whole fundraising thing, you, you kind of gave a clue in your response about who wouldn't want to lend money on a half-price asset, I think you said, something to that effect. But how, how do you get someone to back you? Is it as simple as that, that the deal is just so good they can't say no? Or is, it, is there bits about you or your business that makes it appealing? The first thing you have to do is surround yourself with high net worth people. So how and where are you going to do that? Right. I joined a country club probably when I shouldn't have financially mm-hmm. just to be around high net worth people. Right. And I, I, I would play golf with older guys, retired guys. I'd force myself to do these things because I knew they had money. And I don't care how – one thing I learned, I don't care how old you are, money never gets old. My grandma's 85, and she loves to spend money. <laughs> it's true. So you have to get yourself around these people first. I do it through golf, tennis, things of that nature at, at, at a country club uh-huh. and get myself in the network. And then, you know, it's just – it's really just an easy conversation. You know, I was like, what do you do? What do you, I'm a retired dentist. Oh, okay, what do you do? Well, I buy – uh, underperforming, uh, distressed assets at great prices. 
and real estate's a hot word. It seems like everywhere anymore, it's it's a hot thing, you know? Yeah. yeah, you know, and everyone lives somewhere, right? So if you start talking, well, I got a house in your neighborhood that I bought for this price. Holy cow, how'd you get a deal like that? Well, you know, it's a good deal. Would you lend me the, would you want to lend the money? You want to partner on it? You know, it's how you want to talk about it, partner. Well, you just bring the money. And you'll be my partner, right? Yeah. That's yeah. a form of partnership. Yeah. And if they have money, they're going to lend. Well, what's my security? You have a mortgage, sir. I always just tell people, I used to tell my lenders back in the day, I will sign a deed, leave it at the attorney's office. I make one payment late to you. Don't even call me. Call the attorney. Have him file the deed. Take the house from me. Where do you get security like that? <laughs> people yep. have no problem buying stocks. They have no control over. Yet here's a hard asset you can look at every single day. They love to lend on these things. It's, it's really a, it's, it's a mindset thing, too. Another um, quick story. Yeah. I bought a Lexus a few years ago, right? $55,000 okay. car. Four years later, I go to trade it in. They want to give me twenty for it. <laughs> that's, but I expect that. That's my expectation, right? Yeah. When do we expect to put $50,000 in a real estate deal and turn it into sixty? Now, that's exciting. People yeah. are all over to do these kind of things. Yeah. Very good. And, and um, I guess, you know, what am I going with it? Is, um, have you seen any sort of uh, – major sort of setbacks along the way that you know you just have to push through i mean we, where, where i'm going here is this i i said to you before we started chatting that you're really easy going you seem to take things in your stride and you seem to be very positive and solution-minded known you for a few years now and nothing seemed to phase you but have you been through the mill a bit have you suffered through you know difficult moments even failure joe so that's so interesting you say that so uh, 22 years in business, and I can say that I have never bounced a check or filed for bankruptcy, mm -hmm. which not a lot of people can say that. Um, I have always had a pretty good business. You know, I really did. Even when I couldn't afford the mentors and the coaches, I always spend time uh, checking books out at the library. Remember, I've been in this business so long, there was no such thing as Google. There was no such thing <laughs> as uh, uh, cell phones even. I had a pager was my first business. <laughs> Or remember those. So, but I always spend time, you know, educating myself, and I never really screwed it up too bad. Mm -hmm. um, where where I had a lot of setbacks. The worst thing I ever did that I'll talk about real quickly is I bought a 48 unit apartment building in 2009. That building stole eight years of my life from me. Yeah, it's bad timing. It's, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it did. Well, I mean, I bought it right. I felt 2009 was in the middle of the, of the of the crap going on here, and I felt I bought it right. But I am not a multifamily guy. The uh -huh. turnover that I saw at that building, the inflated expenses. You know, I'm used to paying $300 for a new front door to my house, and because this is a commercial building and the door opens 400 times a day. It had to be commercial grade and it was four thousand dollars. Right. Uh -huh. And I I could never it never worked out. It never made sense to me. And uh, it stole a lot of time. Now, I got one hell of an education. I'll tell you that <laughs> you did. I bet you did. But I'll never do it again. Well, I'll just... never buy multifamily. It's not for me. So stick to what you know and what you're good at. Maybe is that is that the lesson? Stay in your lane. Single family homes are so easy. They run themselves for the most part. Mm hmm. That, uh, I just won't be involved in that. No worries. It didn't work out. So that's my worst mistake. But really, after eight years, I lost a ton of time. I got a hell of an education, and I broke even. So that's probably <laughs> the worst thing that ever happened to me in my 22 years in business. That's not a bad outcome, is it, Bailey? <laughs> no, it's not that bad. It's good business. It really is.
And and talk about your mindset then, because like I say, I, you know, I've thrown the odd curveball at you, and you just take it in your stride. Yeah, you know, you know, mindset's a big thing. It, it, it really is. Um, yeah, you have to you have to stay positive. You can look at the negative side to anything, really. There's 360 ways to look at one thing, right? Every angle is a way to look at it. I mean, ultimately, no matter what that object is, we can see it 360 ways. So think of like you're just sitting in a, in a, in a room with a chair. Every angle I go around that chair up to 360 degrees is going to be a different way to look at that. I just have to stay on the positive side of things because a lot of things I can't control. And if I can't, I'm going to make it better. But mindset is a big thing. Uh, I have a great mentor that this is a great takeaway for anybody who wants to get involved. This is totally free. Darren Hardy. Uh-huh. He is the ex-CEO of Success Magazine. He has an email he sends out called Darren Daily. He is a wonderful mindset guy. Every morning I watch Darren and it gets me, it, it just frames my day for me. And I would recommend anybody out there I don't care what you do, watch Darren Hardy on his Darren Daily. It's an automatic email you can sign up for. It comes to you automatically. Do it, do it, do it. It'll be a game changer for you, I promise. Trying to think. He wrote a book, didn't he? I'm trying to think the title. Um, the um, Entrepreneur Roller Coaster? Maybe, maybe. Uh, I thought it was another one, actually. But anyway, that's a great tip. Thank you for that. Um, and you did go, you talked earlier about education and you talked about mentors and, and we had a chat and, you know, I know for sure that you are involved in a number of different paid for groups. Let's call it that. Just, just touch on that a little bit and how it's perhaps, you know, changed your business uh, of late in particular. So what it is, is the, these groups that are in, they're called masterminds and how they're set up, if they're set up right, it's the top people in each market in our country that collaborate a couple times a year on what they're doing and what they're having challenges with. So I go to these groups and I uh, collaborate with the top. I'm not going to like a local real estate event where it's a bunch of guys that, you know, wish they could flip their first house or might only flip two houses. I'm talking to the guys that flip 20 houses a month, right? The best, the top of the market. And what we do is we typically sit, you know, horseshoe style in a room for three days and it's put off by the members. So there's no like headliner where you're paying someone to come in and speak and motivate you. These groups are put off by the members. So I'll go up there, for example, excuse me, example, I'll go up in front of the group of, of typically these are male dominated things, but there's always women too, but we'll go in front of these, this group and I'll say, Hey guys, I am, I'm doing a, a, buying a bunch of rental properties in Cleveland. I'm having a real problem managing all the tasks like getting the utilities turned on and getting the insurance started and and getting the grass cut and i can't remember if i cut the grass in this house or i didn't then one of the members raises their hand this is a game changer for me by the way one of the members raises their hand and goes have you checked out asana.com i go no what is that (laughs) he goes a free task manager you load all your houses in there what the flow's like, and then you can check off the boxes as they get done. And your team can collaborate together on these things. So if someone's handling the grass cutting, they can go in there, log the grass has been cut, and you can just kind of look and watch these things happen. Ah, uh, that was it right there, right? That that paid for my membership. It simplified things for me. It was awesome. It was a game changer for me. And now I'm giving it to you for free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fantastic. I mean, um, I mean, that's that's another thing, isn't it, about um, shortcutting or hacking 
our way to success is to learn from people who've been it before, uh, done it before. You talked earlier about what is it, pressing the button on the elevator and going straight to the top floor. I think you said. So yeah, it's so much easier than taking the stairs. Yeah, <laughs> it's so much easier than taking the stairs. So yeah, I just wanted to get your take on that. Um, it's been fascinating, and we did talk about how long we may we may talk to today, Joe. I don't know how you fix for time, or if there's anything that's burning that you really want to share with us. But um, I'm trying to get to, if you like, unlocking the secret sauce. Um, you know of what's made you successful uh, over a couple of decades or so. That's really what I wanted to share with our listeners, if possible, uh, so that they can maybe push that elevator button and uh, instead of going the stairs. Is, is there anything you want to, you know, that you haven't shared already, perhaps, that you want to share with uh, our audience and our listeners in that respect? So I, I think my, my secret sauce is that, that I just sit here and think about right now. Um, I'm getting, getting ready to go on a vacation here soon. It, it, I know it's going to cost 10,000 bucks to go on vacation. And I think, you know, how, how do I do that? How, how do I pay for $10,000 vacation a couple times a year and not really worry about it? And the answer for me is not being transactional. It's about having reoccurring revenue. Now, don't get me wrong when I say this. Real estate is an active, passive investment. In my opinion, you should always keep an eye on it, right? It's not just like, oh, I'm going to go to the beach all day and not look at my real estate or what my property manager is doing. Or I think you should always be active, passive. Just kind of keep an eye on your business. Mm -hmm. But it's that when you set it up once and it pays you forever. That has been my secret sauce that keeps me on top. And then when you when you do whatever else you do, you flip a house or you, you have a you're still working a day job. You could take, you know, you take that money and that's when you do the, the real fun stuff, right? If you're a fancy car guy or a boat guy or a watch guy, I'll do that with my transactional money, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But you have to get your monthly bills. We all have them. Even if you don't have a mortgage, I don't have a mortgage on my home, but I still have taxes. I still have insurance. I still have utility bills. I have to get those covered with passive income. That's my secret sauce. That's what keeps me on top. That's what lets me live the lifestyle that I want to live. Wow. Yeah. And that's great. Great advice, actually. Uh, I was reading, funny enough, I shared a, um, there's like an infographic, a virtual capitalist. That's the one I'm trying to say. There's a, there's an organization called Virtual Capitalist, and they share these really nice infographics, you know, just illustrations of good stuff. And they had one, I think it was today. And it said, it basically plotted, you know, some of the billionaires of this world, Jeff Bezos and, you know, um, Warren Buffett, etc. all those guys. And they talked about how long it took them to make their first million. So these are billionaires, but how long did it take them to make their first million? And I was quite surprised with the answer because the answer was an average of eight years. Um, so it took about eight years to kind of make their first million. Of course, they've gone on and made absolute, you know, lo loads of um, accumulated a lot of wealth, significant wealth after that. And funny enough, in real estate, the average was um, 5.8 years. So it's a, it's a, it's actually shorter than the average. <laughs> so where I'm going with this, Joe, to be honest with you, is that you talk about creating passive income, but you, you can't create necessarily a lifestyle replacing or income replacement passive income overnight, right? Oh. <laughs> so you've got to persevere. You've got to, you have over, to. Yeah, do it over a long period of time. Yeah. But you don't become a doctor overnight either, right? You got to go to undergrad, then medical school, then residency. Yeah. You got 12 years. You're 30 before you can call yourself a doctor <laughs> if you started at 18. So it's it's just like that, right? It's like yeah. real estate. There's ramp up time with everything. 
Yeah. You got to have ramp up time. Yeah, they talk about 10,000 hours or 10 years, you know, uh, in the game before you, you kind of get to that level of expertise where it all starts to kind of really start, really pay off. So um, I, I'm with you and your sort of model about getting passive income instead of transactional income. Take the transaction. I call it lumpy money, you know, transactional income, lumpy money. Uh, that will, you know, fund another asset purchase or it'll, you know, fund another holiday or whatever it is you want to do. But it's the right. it's the rental income, the cash flow, which will sustain your lifestyle. And, you know, judging by what you said with these loan notes, do you, do you just maybe in conclusion, do you see the future looking similar to the past or do you see some differences that, you know, maybe people couldn't follow the same path as you in the future? For me, what do I see happening in my future? Well, you know, I guess people are list, maybe listening to this and thinking, can I do what Joe did? Is it, is it still relevant? Will it still be relevant in the next sort of 10 years? Do you see any difference in the market or do you see it? No, any reason, you know, just do what you do and it'll, it'll happen. Oh, uh, absolutely. There's no better time than right now to invest in real estate. There's not. It, it's some of the hottest dinner, it's some of the hottest conversation around dinner tables all across the world. Um, there's no better time than now, you know, uh, get it, get involved as, as soon as you can. You won't be sorry you did. You'll actually have something. I mean, worst case scenario, I call it lazy man way of investing. Go buy a house, put it on a 30 year mortgage. In 30 years, you have a paid-for asset. Mm -hmm. You need to do anything. Someone else paid for it for you. Just do that, if anything. If you don't want to get serious, go buy three or four houses. Use it for retirement. Give them to your kids. Give them something. Give them a net worth. Right? <laughs> Sounds good. So, yeah. Get yes. involved. That's what I would say. And, um, and and I guess, you know, I'd, I'd like to maybe signpost people as to how they, if if you'd like to, could could reach out to you. Um, how could people yeah. come with you, Joe? I'm a very accessible guy. I'm not hard to get a hold of. A couple ways to contact me. Check out my website, clevelandinvestor.com. Real simple. Call my office is another way. Uh, it's area code 440-387-4800. I'm at extension two. I won't be answering the phone until <laughs> August 23rd, just so you know. Yeah. But uh, Or drop me an email. Uh, R-E, broker. The number is 216 at gmail.com well that's fine and I'll, I'll make sure all of those contact details are in the show notes for when it goes live I'll, I'll make a note that you said was it 20 23rd of um august that's uh, when i'll go back to my office yeah 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 so we won't be answering any phone calls before then but but so it's been great thanks so much for sharing with us today joe i really enjoyed uh, talking to you and i've really enjoyed your um, company, I suppose, over the last few years, we've been getting to know one another. We've done a bit of business together. You've introduced me to a couple of groups. Uh, and I, I can say, um, to be honest, I always get a feel good uh, feeling uh, when I when I talk to you because you are very positive and solution minded. So um, lots and lots of great insights that you shared with us today. And I'm very, very grateful that you did. Oh, it's so good to hear from you. And I really appreciate you. No worries at all. All right. Well, I'll let you get on with your with your holiday, with your family. Um, thanks for taking time out to share with uh, our audience today. I really appreciate it, Joe. Oh, thanks so much, Richard. Pleasure. You're welcome. You take care.
Wow, isn't that great? I, I thought so. Um, certainly, just listening to Joe, I could listen to him for a long time. I've got to know Joe over a couple of years now, and uh, he's he really is a nice guy, and he just doesn't let seem to let anything phase him. Been in the business twenty two years, you know, as you mentioned, straight out of high school, um, you know, just just starting off in construction. Do you remember his story right at the beginning where he said he did a deal with his friend and they lost money? They actually took out a credit card. Uh, to fund the rehab and the, uh, or refurbishment, and they lost money on the deal. Uh, the friend quit, but Joe didn't. And, you know, there was a massive takeaway, as he stressed uh, right there and then. Of course, his second uh, flip that he did, he made $35,000 in profit. So he lost $4,000 on his first deal, personally. And then he made $35,000 on his second deal. And that really sort of gave him the, the, the momentum and the drive, as he mentioned, to pursue this thing. But he didn't quit after the first loss-making deal. So that can happen, by the way. I was chatting to someone today who said that things were difficult. I was being speaking to a couple of people. You know, I had problems with contractors, things running over budget, things not going on time. Yes, these things happen, but stick with it. Stick with it. 22 years in, as you, you, know, you heard from Joe, he's got over 100 uh, single-family homes, high-cash flow single-family homes, plus or minus $1,000 a month each uh, before, before deduction, so a little bit less in terms of cash flow, um, you know, uh, funding his lifestyle. So, you know, he also talks about the difference between transactional business or what I call lumpy money and passive uh, investing. So do the work once and then he calls it active passive investing. And I think that's a really good phrase um, and, and putting his money to work. He said the magician, not the mule effect. Um, he, he, it's just so fascinating to talk about how he creatively scaled, you know, to his first 80 units by basically all his family and friends, you know, taking the 10 loans through the two main uh, lenders in the US. I thought that was very creative. And then, of course, he went and uh, he accessed uh, private funding and did these, um, what he called fully amortizing loans. Fully amortizing basically means it's a repayment mortgage for, for want of a better description. So he took five year fully amortizing loans on low-cost, high uh, cash flow properties, which were then owned free and clear at the end of the five years, of course. So that was another great takeaway. He, he talked about a mentor, and he, he paused, didn't he, to reflect. I think he said it was 10 or 12 years in that he, he took on a mentor. So, you know, he said that, he knows what he's talking about. Um, you know, he started buying houses and, and just working with people, giving them great deals. He talked about rubbing shoulders with high net worth people. If you want to get money, then you need to be where the money is. And he talked about joining country clubs, golf clubs, tennis clubs. I think actually it was all done at the same club. But essentially, he was just doing, you know, hanging out with these people and just talking naturally and opportunities came about. Uh, he talked about the five reasons to invest, didn't he? Uh, cash flow, appreciation, depreciation, amortization, and tax exchange. One of those, at least, um, probably two actually, are relevant in the US more so than the UK. But I think that the situation still carries forward. You can have rollover relief on your capital allowances. That was the last one. And depreciation, yeah, you can, you're not really with property in the UK, certainly residential property. Um, but I'm investing in the US, so I'm getting a bit of depreciation credit as well. So there's some some extra things. Talks about adding value. I'm always talking about adding value, as you know. Um, and so, um, you know, lots and lots of good things. He he talks about that he's, he's got this sort of turn. Or yeah, the, uh, the other thing, of course, with amortization was these loan notes. Now, it is peculiar, a little bit peculiar to the US market, the loan note um, side of the business. But it's a fantastic. If you go and look at it, just go on biggerpockets.com, start looking at loan notes. You can either offer loan notes or you can receive loan notes, depending on where you're at in the cycle. So Joe would receive loan notes when he was early 
in his investing career, in his property career. And then he started giving loan notes as he progressed and actually being the bank. Um, so and now he's taking, as he said, uh, multiples of the property value over a 30-year amortizing loan, for example, to tenant buyers. So lots to take away there. Um, you said, you know, you'll never have a problem with money if you look after the people with money who actually look after you. He said, talk, you know, surround yourself with the right people, etc. Give them, give them a good deal, give them security, uh, and be honest. And, and and that's what he's doing. So uh, lots of things about mindset. You know, uh, you know, I really wanted to get under this because he, I just, I've seen him. You know, there's been problems, and he just doesn't get phased. Um, and he said there's always 360 angles of looking at things, and he just prefers to look at it the positive way and looking at things he can actually control. Um, so that was fantastic. Um, the masterminds thing he mentioned, uh, we're both in a mastermind group, actually, and um, it's quite expensive to be part of that particular group. But he's right in what he says that, you know, you've got all these people who are making you know, strides in, in, in business with common interests in different marketplaces who can share and rub shoulders together. And Napoleon Hill obviously spoke about the idea of masterminding. Can't stress it enough. Mentors, masterminding, education, he talked about, you know, kind of recurring theme there, isn't there? Uh, and really at the end, we talked about his secret source. And uh, he said the secret source was basically to develop a, a passive income or the active passive income for his lifestyle, his living expenses, and then to use transactional money or flips or, you know, that kind of money to pay for the toys and the gadgets and, you know, the fun stuff uh, and to have that balance. So have a mixture of the passive income and, and the transactional income that can then fund uh, that kind of lifestyle. Um, and so there you go. Uh, I think there's a lot there. You can reach out to Joe, uh, clevelandinvestor.com is his website. He gave his contacts out. They're in the show notes. I really hope you enjoyed listening to Joe Lieber because I certainly did. Uh, and just remember, if you want to talk about anything from today's show, you know that uh, you can always email me, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. I'd be more than happy to hear from you. You can obviously see the show notes or more information about the series and, and, and indeed The Property Voice over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. And I guess all that's left to say is thank you very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on The Property Voice Podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.